You know, it's wonderful to be, to be able to sing about the holiness of God. Luther couldn't sing of it until he discovered the righteousness that we get as a gift from Christ. He was fearful of the holiness of God. And anyone that uh, doesn't understand the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the imputed righteousness of Christ is in fear. But what a joy it is to be able to sing of the holiness of God. We're starting um, today on the 23rd installment of living the transformed life. What it means to not only be freed from the, the penalty of sin, but to be freed from the power of sin. And so we're looking at what it means uh, in six particular ways, and we're in the last of the six where we're looking at our sense of community. Those who know Christ, those who've been freed from the penalty of sin begin to have an outward gaze, begin to see that we are import, more important than the me. And so this morning, on this Communion Sunday, this Baccalaureate Sunday, we turn to a familiar passage, beginning in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything, and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. Verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I delivered from the Lord what I also, or I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give you direction when I come. Back in the 1950s, the 
British Broadcasting Company, hired a Roman Catholic priest by the name of Father Andrew to be a consultant. They wanted to know what the church's policies were on certain matters and its doctrine. So one day a producer wrote Brother Andrew and he asked them this question. We are going to do a series on heaven and hell. We're wondering where we could get some definitive evidence that would legitimize the church's teaching on heaven and hell. As soon as Brother Andrew got the letter, he sent back a one-word telegram. The word was, die. I mean, that's a perfect way to find out about heaven and hell. Just, just die. Just die. You'll find out. It's interesting that of all of the topics that dominate the letter to the Corinthians, both one letters that we have, of all of the subjects, there is one subject that Paul hammers home again and again. And that is about dying to yourself. And the context of Corinth was interesting. There were people in that town and all over Asia Minor who were self-aggrandizing. They were self-promoting. They were arrogant. They were braggarts. And they sought to lift themselves up by tearing down others. And in that context, Paul says to them, If I boast, I will boast of these things, the things that show my weakness. And instantly you, you think to yourself, how do you boast in your weakness? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us how. He says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or outside of it, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now he's talking about himself. And he's saying that 14 years earlier, whether in the body or outside of the body, he was lifted up to the third heaven, and there he had conversation with Christ. You say, when did it happen? When is he talking about? And there's a lot of opinion on this, but I think the best opinion is this. Right after he had preached in the town of Lystra, after his first missionary journey, the Bible tells us he's there in Lystra and he preaches to many, maybe thousands. And there in that town, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses Paul to heal a blind man. And then some others come into town and they hear what Paul has done and they see the crowd that's following him and they begin to foment revolution. They begin to foment anger and hatred against Paul. And so the people of Lystra pick up stones and they begin to stone Paul. And the Bible says when they think he's dead or near dead, they drag him outside of town and they leave him there for dead. You think to yourself, maybe that's what he means when he says, whether in the body or outside of the body, I don't know. But of one thing he is certain, he knows where he was. 
He was in the third heaven. Now, Hebrew cosmology was the fact that there were three heavens. There were the heavens above us in which the clouds reside, and then there was the heaven above the heavens, and then there was this third heaven, the place where God himself dwelt. That's the place to which Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. He takes paradise from hell and raises it up to the heavenly heavens. You say, well, what does he see there? He doesn't tell us. You say, what does he hear when he gets to heaven? He doesn't tell us in this text. He tells us in his preceding letter, chapter 11, he says, for I receive from the Lord what I delivered to you. The Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now think about that. Paul doesn't tell us what he sees. He doesn't tell us what he hears in heaven except one thing. He hears Jesus talk to him about communion. You say, now wait a minute, I know something about the life of Paul. I know that in the first chapter of Galatians, he talks about the fact that after he was converted in Damascus, he leaves Damascus, he goes into the desert of Arabia, and there he spends time, and he has visions and revelation, and maybe that's when Jesus talks to him about communion. Maybe. Actually, that's what I used to think until I discovered in a new way the context of his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's the same context that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, it's fascinating. Paul writes 29 chapters in two letters that we have. Now, we know he wrote at least three, maybe four letters to them. But in the 29 chapters that we have, 10 of them deal with the same subject. Boasting, ego, self-aggrandizement. In fact, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he talks about the fact that there are divisions among them based on ego. He talks about the same thing in chapter 2 and 3 and chapter 4, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. He is banging, hitting on this subject over and over again. That's what he's talking about in chapter 11 when he says, I receive from the Lord what I'm delivering to you. In other words, of all the things Jesus could have talked to me about, he talked to me about one thing that I want to tell you about, and that's communion. You know where we get the word communion? From two Latin words, com meaning with, and unios, which means oneness. With oneness. That's what communion means. Paul says in effect, When I saw Jesus, and I listened to him, Jesus dealt with one subject, and that's our oneness in Christ. And when you think about it, it stands to reason. Because the last command Jesus gives to his disciples before he goes to the cross is this. Love one another as I have loved you. Now why would that be Jesus' last command? 
Because he knows that of all of the dangers facing his church, there is no danger greater than an ego that says, it's all about me. Did you hear about the couple who had triplets, little boys? They were about six months old. They had one of those three baby strollers. And they're walking these triplets down the road, and a lady stops them and says, those are the most gorgeous little boys I've ever seen. How old are they? And Susie said, they're six months. And John says, I'm 36. Well, Paul knows all about that. He knows that of all the pitfalls that a Christian can fall into, There is no pitfall greater than the pitfall that says it really is all about me. Now, whether you say it or whether you think it, the problem is just as great. And so on this Baccalaureate Sunday, at a time when we celebrate the achievement of many seniors here at Hebron, Let's take another look at what Paul says here. Because I would submit to you that living a transformed life is all about we and nothing about me. The more the Holy Spirit transforms you, the more corporate you will be in your thoughts and in your actions. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the way. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, that's exactly what the Greek says. Now, think of what Paul means here. When you come together as a church, it's not for the good, it's for the bad. In other words, it would be better if you didn't come together than the fact that you come together the way you come together. Do you hear this? You say, how can he say that? Because he knows that when they come together, they're out for themselves, their individual selves, and that's exactly the opposite of Jesus' definition of communion. Years ago in Montreat, North Carolina, there at the Montreat Presbyterian Church, there was a senior pastor by the name of Calvin Thielman. And Calvin was over in London for a World Evangelism Congress where he had his first heart attack. And it was severe. And they took him to a London hospital, and there he lay in a cardiac ward for a number of weeks. After they had been there about a day or two, a man said to him, Sir, what do you do for a living? Now, if you're a pastor, you don't really like that question if you're on your feet, but when you're in a hospital bed. You can't move. You really don't like He said, I'm a preacher. The man said, well, where are you from? And he said, well, I'm from Black Mountain, North Carolina. And the man said, that's where Billy Graham is from, isn't it? Theoman said, yeah, that's where Billy Graham's from. Do you know him? The man asked. Oh, he's an acquaintance of mine, said Calvin. And after a few more hours, it became clear to everyone on that ward that Billy Graham was not only a friend of Calvin Thielman's, he was a close personal friend. In fact, Thielman worked alongside of Billy Graham for over a decade. And when all of this came out, another man across the ward got into the act. 
This was a man who hated Billy Graham. And he weighed in. And he made it clear, not only did he hate Billy Graham, he hated everything Billy Graham stood for. He hated the Bible. He hated the gospel. Thielman says, those days in the hospital were horrible. For two weeks, I wasn't allowed to move. I couldn't walk around. I couldn't do anything. I just could lay there and hear all of this criticism, field all of these questions, hear this skeptic rant and rave about how terrible Christianity was, and finally the day came for me to be released. I couldn't wait to get out of that hospital ward. And as I was preparing to leave, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and said, show them how much you love them. Even the jerk. And so I called the orderly over. I gave him a fistful of cash. And I said, go out and get fish and chips for all of us. And when he came back, and everybody saw fish and chips. We dove into that food and we had a party. There was hugging, there was tears. We were laughing together. And finally the time came for them to roll me out on a gurney, take me to the hospital or to the airport. And the man who had been the biggest pain in my neck, the one who had been so critical of Billy Graham and the gospel and the Christian faith, he came over to me. He bent down and he whispered in my ear, on that plane, Dr. Thielman, if you should begin to wonder why did all this happen to you, let me give you something to think about. If for my sake only, it was no accident, God sent you here for me. Now think of the Last Supper. On the eve of His crucifixion on a cross, of all the things that could possess the mind of Jesus, there was only one thing that possessed Him. And that was having a party and eating together with those He loved. Second, notice the worship. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, Matthew and Mark don't tell us these words. They say that Jesus lifts the bread and he blesses it. But Luke and Paul tell us he lifts the bread and he gives thanks for it. The word there for giving thanks is The same word, Eucharistus, that is used to describe this table by many. Eucharistus. To give God thanks for His unspeakable gift. So think of this. In the face of His own demise... In the face of his own torture, physical torture and spiritual torture. In the face of being condemned 
by and cursed by his own father. Jesus worships his father for all of his own brokenness and what it will mean for the guys around the table. It's said you are what you eat. And if that's true, and it is, just think what eating communion means. It means we're eating of his brokenness. It means we're eating of his selflessness. It means we're eating of the one who says, thank you, Father, because it's not about me, it's all about them. In his own worship of his Father, he thinks about them more than he thinks about him. And then third, notice the wariness. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now for years I thought that drinking, eating and drinking in an unworthy manner meant that you were eating and drinking with some harbored secret sin. I thought Paul was talking about some unconfessed sin, some heinous deed you've done in the flesh and you haven't asked the Lord to forgive you. And you know something? Apparently I'm not alone because in the generations past at Hebron, every time they had communion, it was four times a year, they had what was called a preparatory service the night before. And you'd come and you'd sit in the pews there in the sanctuary and it was a time to confess your own sins. And when you came, after you were, when you were leaving, they would give you a little token. A little metal token. And you would come the next day, and unless you had a token, you couldn't receive communion. Unless you'd done the preparatory work of confessing your sin, you couldn't take the elements. Without a token, without examining your own sin and your own state before the Lord, you couldn't take communion. It's a little like the woman who's on vacation. She writes a postcard to her psychiatrist. I'm having a wonderful time. I wish you were here to tell me why. You see, Paul knows what an unworthy manner is. If you check the context, you'll know it too. He's not talking here about discerning your own sin. He's talking about discerning the body. He says in verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now what body is he talking about? He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the church. In other words, he's talking about our oneness in Christ. When you come to his table, if all you think about is your sin and your relationship with Jesus and whether you're pure enough, whether you're right enough, if your focus is on yourself, you're missing the meaning of eating and drinking together because it's not about you, it's about us. How many times when you come to this table do you think of others? How many times when you come to this table do you pray for the spiritual nurture of others? 
How many times when you come to this table do you think about the spiritual well-being of others rather than yourself? And fourth, notice the weight. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Some manuscripts have it this way. When you come together with one another, share with each other. The point's the same. It's not about you. It's about everybody else. Do you see it? In all the record of Jesus' earthly ministry, there is only one thing that he, said, he is said to have earnestly desired. You know what that means literally in Greek? It means lust after. There is one thing that Jesus lusts after. Only one thing in all three years of his ministry is Jesus said to lust after. Remember what it was? I have earnestly desired, I've lusted after gathering you around this table and feeding you and you feeding one another. The only thing in all of his life that he ever earnestly desired was communion with his brothers in Christ. Now think of it. He lusts after gathering together his friends around the table, him feeding them and them feeding one another. No wonder it is that when Paul is caught up to the third heaven, and he sees Jesus and he hears from Jesus, what Jesus wants to talk about is communion. You see, whether it's bread and wine or fish and chips, Jesus' focus is always on his entire body and not the individual parts of his body. You know something? The more the Holy Spirit transforms you, the more you experience communion with Jesus, the more you will begin to find yourself thinking about others, praying for others, loving others, being concerned with the needs of others than with your own. They will become your focus. And you will become convinced that this Christian life is not just about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and we. When it comes to joy and sorrow, when it comes to success and sin, when it comes to feast and famine, we're all in this together. Think about that as you live out your life. Think about that as you come to this table today. Think of our oneness in Christ. And how when one part of the body hurts, we all should. And when one part of the body is healthy and rejoices, we all ought to.